our communion meditation is in Colossians. And it's the last one in this series. We started this back in January. I'll read from Colossians 4, starting at verse 15. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains, grace be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would have it to uh, enter into our hearts and minds to transform us, to renew us into the image of Christ. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would do this, to build up your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen. This is a brief text, but there's a lot here, and uh, I actually had to as I was developing it, I had to cut some out. You just can't focus on everything. And yet I am going to take one rabbit trail briefly. Uh, but it won't be until the middle of the story, so you don't have to worry about catching it or missing it. Now, Paul was imprisoned in Rome at the time that he's writing this letter. And uh, he's thought to have written in that same imprisonment the letter to the Ephesians, the Philippians, and also Philemon uh, concerning the... Uh, slave Onesimus that he's pleading with Philemon to free. And we see here in verse 7 of verse 4, uh, Tychicus, and so he says, a beloved brother, faithful minister, will tell you all the news about me. So he's sending him, he's going to them with this letter, and this man is also referenced in Ephesians as going with that letter. These cities that he mentions here in our text, who he's writing to, Colossians, they're from Colossae, and then also he mentions uh, Laodicea, the Laodiceans. They're very, very close together in that time, just a couple miles apart. Whereas Ephesus is about 100 miles further west. So I just kind of wanted to set the context of the, this, these places. And in our text, in the latter part of verse 16, he wants them to read the epistle from Laodicea. He says, I want you to read this, and then I want you to have the Laodiceans read it, and I want you to read the epistle from Laodicea. So there are two letters being discussed here, two cities very close to one another, we think, and two letters. Well, it seems clear-cut, but when you look at the commentaries, they point out, oh, it's not nearly as clear-cut as you might want it to be. So there's a lot of mystery around this other letter from Laodicea. Why is Paul having them read it? And as a matter of fact, I was kind of surprised to find that uh, one of the theories is that this is actually a letter from Laodicea. In other words, it's not one that Paul wrote. It's one that the congregation there wrote to him and that he liked it so much that he wants it to be read in this neighboring city. And John Calvin held to that view of all people. And I'm just thinking, wow, that seems odd. But I believe why is that John Calvin was choosing this one over another one that was much less palatable, and that was that there is this letter, now regarded as the epistle to Laodicea, that's apocryphal, that doesn't appear to be right or true. 
And so he was fighting against acceptance of that letter. But anyway, there are many, many views, and yet I'll mention a few. I've already mentioned two, that is a letter from Laodicea, that there is this apocryphal one that someone else wrote that isn't true, that wasn't really written by Paul. Then there's the concept that this is a lost letter, that Paul had written a letter to this Laodicean church, and it was later lost. And there's also another theory that at least some of the commentaries held to, and that is that this is actually the other letter that Tychicus wrote and took with them, or that Tychicus carried with them from Paul. And so he's having them read. Now, we know it as the epistle to the Ephesians, and yet uh, many commentators believe that that was more like a circular. It was going to Ephesus, yes, but it was going to the whole region, and that it was in Laodicea, and Paul wanted it to come here. I don't know myself. And, and, and Phil's laughing, so he knows I'm wrong. So <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. But anyway, that we don't know the history of this. And, and this isn't the only such letter, epistle mentioned in Scripture. We know from reading the Old Testament, there are many other annals that were written that we don't have a permanent record of. And so I just wanted to kind of set the tone for this, because this is going to be the theme, really, throughout this uh, communion meditation. But here is the uh, step sideways. In verse 17, Paul says, Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. This seems to me to be somewhat of a rebuke. It seems pretty abrupt. Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. Now, in the letter to Philemon, he refers to Archippus as a fellow soldier. So I believe sometime between the time that he wrote this, or it could be either way, if Archippus has changed his, his uh, tune, but he appears to be rebuking Archippus. Take this seriously. This is something to be taken seriously. And he obviously has had reputable reports that he hasn't been. And so Paul is, at the close of this letter, not refraining from sending a mild rebuke into this man's life. Take heed to the ministry to which you have been called. It's important. You can't shirk it. It's your responsibility to follow up on your commitments. That's the aside. I want to go to the last verse. This salutation by my own hand, Paul. This salutation by my own hand, Paul. Now, we know that Paul tended to do this. He would dictate a letter. Someone else would write it. But then he would close it with his writing. Now, we would come to regard that in modern times as kind of like a signature. And we value signatures. Signatures are still important, even in this digital age. We have to sign those little electronic pads uh, if we're going to purchase something on credit. And so signatures are still important. They still identify us. It's how our society has chosen to do this. Now, this would appear to be Paul authenticating what he's written. That implies that he is protecting or trying to protect his reputation from being stolen. Other people will try to say they've written these letters and they purport to be Paul, or at least a competitor for Paul. And Paul's like, no, this was written by me. Yes, this other man wrote it. I scribed it to him, but here I am. I'm authenticating this letter. And so terms for that, a term for that is forgery. When someone else is attempting to deceive us in, in saying he's Paul, that's a forgery. He might even learn how to write like Paul and attempt to deceive people. So now, 
I want to talk a little bit about this, authenticity and forgery. Authenticity and forgery. They're important in the Bible. Paul is proclaiming the authenticity of this letter that he's having Tychicus send to this church. Nowadays, experts are hired to authenticate something. But the question I ask you is, can those experts' opinion always be relied upon? Can their judgment be relied upon? Is it foolproof? No, obviously not. They're fallible. They're human. And as a matter of fact, there have been a lot of controversies. I don't know if you track the art world like I do, but you know, there have been a lot of controversies in the art world about forgeries, especially lately. There have been some artists in recent times, in like the last 50 years, that have been so good at painting masterworks that some of the masterworks that are now reputed to be originals might not have even ever been painted by that person centuries ago. A, a mysterious painting by the master has shown up in some cellar in Belgium or something. And so suddenly people are salivating over this picture. They want this picture. And so then they hire some firm to say, okay, authenticate this picture. Is this really painted by this guy? Oh, in our esteemed opinion, yes, it was painted by this guy. Oh, now it's worth tens of millions of dollars. Just because this person has said it is an original, right? Does the fact that that person said it is an original make it an original? No. But it causes everyone to accept it as an original until something comes to pass in which it's proven to be a forgery. So now I want to bring this back to the Bible because that's why we're all here. You know, not to talk about art like I'd prefer to talk about, but talk about who's attempting to forge letters of the Bible. So now see, we know there are these books that are known as the Apocrypha. There are 11 additional books and then there are four pieces of books that are all said to be apocryphal that Jerome included in his Latin translation of the Vulgate, but he said these are useful for teaching, but they're not a part of the canon. And the church of that day accepted that, and they knew that. He even didn't want them in there, but they insisted on including them because they were already widely accepted. Wisdom, Ecclesiasticus, the Maccabees, Judith, Tobit, these are all books of the Apocrypha. But for a millennium, they were in this Bible, but not perceived to be really a part of that Bible. They were not part of the canon until the Reformation came along, where there then became this dispute about this. And so in opposition to the Reformers who had cast those out, saying those aren't part of the Bible, they've never been part of the Bible. But the Catholic Church came back and said, no, they are a part of the Bible. So the Roman Church has said that by their fiat, they've made these books a part of the Bible. They're not saying that they're the expert that has determined through their skill and training that these are perceived to be books of the Bible. They have dubbed them books of the Bible. Do you see what's wrong with this? See, in the 1500s, there is some guy that probably died a pauper that painted a bunch of paintings that are now famous, that are selling for millions of dollars, and he did or did not paint a particular painting that's now being sold for millions of dollars. Is it real? Is it an original? No. So see, that 
is the distinct difference between the Protestant view of the canon and the Roman Catholic view of the canon. The Roman Catholics say, we, the church, have determined this to be canonical. You dare not challenge us in that because we are the authority. They are presuming God's role in making Scripture inspired. That, that's offensive, and it should be offensive to all Protestants. And if we could only get Catholics who argue strongly for the Apocrypha to view the history of it from the perspective of Protestants, perhaps we could convince them that this is not right. But see, Paul took the authenticity of Scripture that he's writing very seriously, and he cautioned these readers against accepting epistles that weren't authentic. And then these were perceived by the early church to be Scripture. They didn't make them Scripture. They perceived them to be Scripture. They were originals. So now, when we come to the table, this table is all about truth. So we don't accept lies just because it's convenient, just because it makes it easy. Uh, we were talking the other day about whether if Obama's birth certificate was ever really true, pr truly proven to be a forgery, whether all of the laws that were signed by him would be negated. They should be, but would they be? No, because we live at a time in which truth is devalued. They would be allowed to go on, I believe. I don't think, think our country would have any problem. Our Congress would have no problem accepting all of that as the law of the land, even though the person that supposedly was running the country at that point that allowed them to become law, that had a part in that, was deemed to be a fake. So see, we must not accept forgeries. We must not accept fakes. And when we come to the table, that's what we're promising Christ. Lord, you alone are truth. We want to be true like you. We want to fight against the forgeries in our culture. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would have it to be uh, known to us. Uh, you comfort us with the knowledge that we are your children. You authenticate our salvation by the indwelling of your Holy Spirit. And yet, Lord, uh, we uh, can sometimes stumble at what it means to have a book be part of your Bible or not. So we pray for wisdom in this, Lord. Give us direction. Give us confidence that we are abiding by your will, that we are uh, deferring to you as the master having created these works. We thank you now, Lord. As we come to the table, we pray that you would bless the uh, crackers and wine to our bodies, that we would seek to be more like you, to live in truth and to fight against forgeries. In Christ's name we pray, amen.